Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello and welcome to this week's installment of The Wonderful World of Wine. Following trending topics in the wine world, I am co-host Kim Simone here with my other co-host, Mark Lindsay. How are you this week, Mark? Hey, Kim. Hey. Pa- the partner in wine crime. Partner right? in wine crime. That's right. We haven't used that in a while. <laughs> and we love talking wine every week with you our listeners. And as we move into the spring, you know, it's always nice to kind of shake things up a little bit, maybe do a little science, maybe do a little marketing stuff like we talked about last week when we were talking about supermarket wines and how to find the best value. Our first article for today is an article that I, I I don't know, kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way at the very beginning of it. And it's- Oh, I like that. I like when there's controversy on the show. That's right. I like that. So um, it's another article from Wine Enthusiast, uh, which does some really decent wine writing about some mostly basic topics. But they started this article that was called, Is This Wine Any Good? The Five Most Important Structural Components to Know. And the start of this, I'm like, is this wine any good? Okay, so we're going to read about what to look for to tell you if this is a good wine or not. But they, I don't feel like the structure of a wine necessarily tells you if it's a good wine or not. And they finally, at the end of the article, got to the topic of balance and complexity to tell you if your wine is good. But I was a little dismayed at the beginning because I'm like, well, the structure insofar as it's the structure of the wine doesn't really tell you whether it's good or bad. See, and I'm interested to hear your take on that. Well, of course, I, I didn't agree. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I thought they did say what is a good wine. That's how they style, like you said. But then they did say a good wine should be what you think is a good wine before they talked about these five structural components. And like you said, then they drew you in, went through the five structural components, and at the end said a good wine is a balance of all of these. So to me, it was good writing because it drew me into saying something kind of to get you, you, what do you mean? You're going to tell me the trick of what's good, right? How can I tell people this is a good wine based on what? And then it gave you some technical stuff. And then it just said, yeah, but it has to be a balance to be considered good. But I don't know, Kim, I don't think it was anything deceiving. It, it, it went right away and said, which we always tell people good is what you think is good. And does it really matter if these five things you don't like it? And I do, you like one thing on the list and someone else likes another thing on the list of the five components. So I didn't really have a problem. For me, it was more the title. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I can understand that. that. Like if the title had been slightly different Yeah. because I felt like the article itself, even at the very beginning, they were very upfront about let's talk about the structural element then and see this is a quality wine. But I was just a little bit, I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) the title of the article, because you can have wines with very, very different types of structure that are equally good quality. Like there's always a back and forth about is wine that is dry versus a wine that is sweet any better. And 
and I think we were talking a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about ratings and the 100 point system. And one of the systems that you use where, you know, you give different numbers for different structural elements. And it's like, well, if someone is going to give a lower score to a wine with sweetness, because sweetness is counted as a negative or wines with maybe a little bit more aggressive acidity is considered a negative. It's like, as long as everything is in balance, it should be a positive, but taking the individual elements and putting like a dry wine up against a sweet wine or a higher acid wine versus a lower or lower tannins versus higher tannins. You can have a lower tannin red wine that is still just as equally good to a wine that has really structured tannins. So they can be different, but they can still all be good quality. Yeah. Well, let's, you mentioned sweetness. So, and that is one of the five structural components they talked about. So let's start with that. And I like the way you were going with that because you can have, and they mentioned it in, he, in this article, you can have sweetness in a wine. It doesn't mean it's fruity. It's a fruity wine. It has to do with the sugar, the res, what's left in the, the wine after fermentation. So you might like sweet wines and think it's a good wine, and I might find it too sweet. And for that reason, I say it's not a good wine. So I think that's where you were kind of going mm-hmm. on the components, saying good or not good. And that can be with any of these five things. But sweetness, you have to have a good balance of sweetness too, if it's technically not a sweet wine. And there's levels of sugar where people can find it really overpowering. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was a good one to start with. Did you think that was of the components they went through? Do you think sweetness was good to start with? Yeah, I think it's good to start with. I think it's a little bit harder with sweetness because you generally only find wines that are regarded very well if they're sweet wines as these really high octane, not octane, but really sweet desserty wines. So we're talking about Sauterne and Port and some of the sweeter sherries and Tokai. We're not necessarily talking about an everyday kind of wine to drink that has some sweetness to it. You know, we're talking about legit lots and lots of sugar definitely either for dessert or for pairing with something super duper fatty, but they're not everyday drinking wines. I think that's what I to get, I guess, across about the, the sweetness part is that usually when we're talking about quality wines, we're not talking about wines that are a little bit sweet for everyday drinking. And that's kind of what I think one of the annoying things about using sugar as one of these components is that we could have a perfectly pleasant to drink wine that has some sweetness to it, but it's not usually going to get high points because those wines also tend to be kind of mass produced or more for, I think, a broader market of people who maybe are just learning to like wine or just trying starting to get into wine. So the sweet wines that we're talking about that tend to get these higher scores tend to be very sweet, but also very balanced. So it's, I think, difficult to talk about sugar in wine as a balanced wine because they can be not the wines that a lot of drinkers are familiar with. And that's a good lead into the next structural component. They talked about acid. So a lot of times the acidity can balance some of that overpoweringness of- And it should. 
It absolutely Correct. should. So like if you have a bottle of Sauternes that doesn't have enough acidity to it, it's just going to taste sweet. And I feel what makes a dessert wine really good is that it does have that balance of acidity to it. So it's not just cloying. It's got some refreshing refreshingness to it as well. Is refreshingness a word? I don't think so. That sounds good to me. <laughs> there we go. So they mentioned the acidity makes up 1% of wine. I'm the component that of wine. Yeah, I, I, that's where I was going with that because yeah. said most of wine is component is water, but 1% makes up wine. And I've never really seen it that. Yeah, I don't. We, we tend to look at like, okay, what's the water content, right? What's the alcohol content? Right. And then it's always like, 2% of other, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I don't know that I've ever seen acids. acidity broken down as a percentage of the wine. I thought that was interesting. And then you will lead into the next one. You said alcohol. So we'll talk about that as another structural component, which a lot of times is very, it should be hard to detect unless there's something that's out of balance. Like they were saying, then it, it tends to be all you taste is alcohol, mm -hmm. but usually most wines are very it doesn't overpower the alcohol shouldn't overpower the wine and you right. don't see it too often. Yeah, you're right. It, and and that's, I think is the great point is that it shouldn't overwhelm like the alcohol in your wine doesn't just add the booziness to it. It also adds a little bit of sweetness and it also adds body and it also adds weight. So there are all of these things that alcohol contributes to in your glass of wine beyond just the taste of, oh, this tastes like I'm drinking alcohol. The issue is when it is out of balance with those other things. So it's not necessarily always the number on the bottle. So you can have a wine that's 12% that you can literally taste the alcohol in because it might be out of balance with all those other components, whether it be the sweetness, whether it be the acidity, whether it be just the otherwise body of the wine. Like if you have a really light Pinot Grigio that's 12%, but you can taste that it's boozy, that is out of balance. Whereas there are other wines that might be 15%, but because they have so much more going on with them, they have tannins, they have structure, they have viscosity, they've got other components might taste completely harmoniously in balance. And you won't taste that alcohol at all, even though it is a few points higher than that other wine. So I think that alcohol is actually one of the things that I am most sensitive to in an unbalanced wine. So it's an important component. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think lately for me, it's been, you see these wines that are higher, but they, like you said, they taste so in balance that you don't even know that you're drinking 1% or 2% higher alcohol because they're doing such a good job making the wine and mm -hmm. balancing it out. And then you worked right into the next structural component. They talked about body, saying alcohol gives body. And we've talked about this a lot where we say the weight of the wine and we try to put it in reference to milk or water mm -hmm. weight type of things. I can't think of an instance where I would say the wine is too, it's just too heavy, but everything else, it's off because of the weight. Yeah. I don't know that I no. would, I don't know that I would necessarily put body in with these structural elements. Like, yeah. yes, yeah. it's there, but it's made up of the th the other things that are on this list. So the body yeah. of the wine comes from the alcohol. It comes from the tannic structure. The only thing it, I can use an example of this, Kim, is a lot in Pinot Grigio. I could say that was like water. 
I mean, that was just so light. I got mm -hmm. nothing out of it. So never on the heavy side, more on the light side, like it's too light. Yeah. With throw so it's it off. not so balanced it's, because it's too light right. for you Too just. Yeah. yeah just too light. And, and maybe that that's brings... why there are very, very few 100 point Pinot Grigios. If yeah. Any. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> on my scale. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last structural component is tannins. So tannin, Kim, what something is too tannic throws off the balance, but it could also mean at that time that it's just a young wine mm -hmm. that could be Absolutely. beautiful over time. This something is another one that is in the eye of the beholder. Some people prefer more tannic wines. Some people maybe like wines that don't quite have a lot of the tannic dryness that some wines do have. Think about things like Barbaresco and Barolo and Bordeaux. These are wines that, like you mentioned, definitely in their youth can come across as that's all that you're tasting or that's all that you're feeling. And I think for certain wines that having that tannic structure can get in the way of the flavors. And it's sometimes difficult to assess is this a good wine right now? Is this a good wine in the future for those wines that have too much tannins? But I kind of feel like something like oak should also come to play in this school because these are all the what I call the textural elements of wine. And even if all of these things are in balance, if the flavors are out of balance, then right. it can also make you rethink whether this is a good quality well-balanced wine, but we're not talking about flavors, only talking about textures. But but I agree that tannins, and if they're well-balanced tannins, and what you're expecting out of them as well. So you wouldn't expect that a Pinot Noir would have really aggressive, super full-bodied tannins. That would be considered not necessarily the best quality Pinot Noir, and then vice versa for a Cabernet. If your Cabernet doesn't have a lot of tannic structure, then you're going to think, well, this is kind of a wimpy Cabernet. So we talked about all five of the structural components. They were saying, wine enthusiasts, of all of those, Kim, what is the hottest for you to relate to if someone's asking you or describing a wine to you of mm. their level of these five? And I'll give you my example. For me, if someone tells me something is sweet. Mm-hmm. Right. To your sweetness and my sweetness. I've had it a million times where someone say, oh, I think that wine is sweet or it's not mostly the other way. That's not sweet at all. And I'm like, oh, my God, that has so much residual yeah. sugar in there. Yeah. So of all those, I think that to me is harder to relate with someone's mm -hmm. profile. I think that is like a, a legitimate physiological difference between human beings is that some of us taste things and we really can be really impacted by the sweetness and by the sugar. Some people have low thresholds. Some people have high thresholds for sweetness. So I think that that is a really difficult thing to talk about. Some people love to eat Oreos and some people can't eat Oreos because they're just too sweet for them. As far as detection of yeah. all of these, yeah. sweetness is, would be the hardest for people mm -hmm. to on the same I, I think for discussion, acidity can be hard to get across to people and not so much because it's what you like, what you don't like, but because I feel like it's a topic that we don't often talk about outside of wine. Like there's not a lot besides like citrus fruit. You know, we don't tend to talk about 
acidity in a positive kind of way. Like right. people know vinegar and they know like lemon juice. But other than that, I don't think we tend to talk about acidity in foods unless you're in the kitchen and you're trying to make a meal or trying to make a dish and perfectly balance all of that. So I think that that's another one that maybe just from lack of exposure and lack of conversation. It's the scariest on the list for sure. It's absolutely scary. For, for yeah. Drink. Talking about, oh, this is a high acid wine. You're like, why would I want yeah. to drink that if it's a high acid wine? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. For more information about Kim, please go to her website at commonwealthwineschool.com. For more information about myself, please go to franklinlickers.com. We are here every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. You can also find us now on Twitter at Wine Education and on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine. Now we want to talk about a food article, Kim. Actually, there was two kind of articles I want to combine in. We can talk about one is when a wine is food friendly. What does that mean? And that was in the Globe and Mail uh, publication. And then I want to follow up with because it's that time of year. We're getting towards steak season and <laughs> tasting table had what is the best wine with steak? And I think they were related. And I want to start with food friendly. We hear this term all the time, Kim. I probably abuse it too many times. And I wanted to get your definition of when you say a wine is food friendly and compared to what I think or how I use it. Mm -hmm. So my idea of what do I mean when I say a wine is food friendly is that it has certain components to it that play off of food a little bit better than if the wine were to be consumed on its own. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not good to drink on its own, nor that other wines that I wouldn't describe as food friendly would be bad with food. It's more that there are personality traits, shall we say, in that particular wine that it will taste better with certain foods than it will on its own. So that's kind of my basic definition of yeah, what's I a think, food-friendly wine. I think we're on the same page with that. And I, I would, just have I to would assume so. The one thing I have to define, though, is when you taste that wine, you say, oh, this would go good with food. But I don't see myself sitting down tonight on the couch just pouring a glass of this and drinking it. Mm -hmm. Is that because it is not your typical style wine that you like? but you would deal with it or you could put up with it if it was paired with a food to complement it? Is that how you look at that? No, not really. Because <laughs> I have favorite wines that are my sipping wines. And then I have favorite wines that I like to put with a meal. So but there are certain it, styles that would you I won't. Those, those meal ones, would you mm -hmm. pass those out? The ones you have that are just, you feel like better food wines, would you pass those out to people to just sip on? Without um, maybe not, honestly, something yeah. like a dry Riesling. Like I have certain meals, certain dishes that I will almost always pair with dry Riesling, but it's not something that I necessarily like to just have a glass of. Yeah. That's that interesting though. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting though, because that's a great example because there's certain styles of Riesling that I would not sell to someone without saying it. you have to to really get the most out of this wine, you have to pair it with this to make yeah. it 
yeah. it really shine, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. As, and as a retailer, it's tough to get wines like that because yeah. not everybody's going to eat a certain food that they have mm-hmm. to pair that with, you know, and right. I don't want them to buy it and not pair it with something and not get the best out of it. Yep. So there are certain things like that. And then there are also certain wines that I would not necessarily feel like, well, I need to have this with food. So something that's big and fruity and maybe powerful and maybe has a lot of tannins. Um, Like I very rarely will put California Zinfandel with food. And I know that there are some that will go with particular foods, whether it be stew or steak, like we'll talk about in a few minutes. But Zin is one of those things that I'm like, if I just want to have a glass of red wine, that's what I'm going to pour for myself. Yeah. Well, everybody has their go-to. And Mm -hmm. I I liked how they said many cultures in the world think wine is food. Is food. Yep. Right. So, I mean. In my house, wine is food. Yeah. (laughs) I choose what we're going to drink based on what we're having for dinner. And I think that sometimes the reverse, thing. sometimes I'll make and, dinner and with the, the one, like maybe the one bottle of wine that I have cold in the fridge. So what am I making for dinner? Isn't that a great thing, though, that it's respected like that? I mean, take Italy. It's had the probably the best example, right? I mean, they so enjoy wine with everything for food, right? And every area has its wines that they grow because it goes with the food. But they're so flexible, too. Like there's just like house wine that we're not right, really right. sure. You know, we don't but, care what the necessarily what the blend is. We right. just, you know, it's, it's what you drink with lunch. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it goes with and it goes with your pasta. So, yeah, and it's just uh, I'm glad we're on the same page about food. So you don't really hear someone just try to sell you something, say it's food friendly wine. Every wine is food friendly in some way. There's always mm-hmm. some dish that's going to pair this. There's our that's wines a good that, point. That's a really good point that that everything has a positive Everyone. to it that yeah. you can. Yeah. With any wine out there, you can find something to pair with it, you could even if it it's just, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, you could say that with any wine that yeah. it's food friendly with something. But uh, there are certain ones where I it really like you said, with your Riesling, I have go to's. I say you have to. Mm-hmm. And when I'm tasting, I'm like. I have to promote this. And then my note, if I'm saying it goes with a certain food, that's because when I tasted it, that's what it, yep. you know I think it should go with. And, and that's the really a help. I feel a helpful tip if someone's telling you what you should pair it with. So you mentioned the steak article, tasting table. We always talk about protein and what to match up with high protein and foods. And steak is, is got to be the go-to. I'm the meat and potatoes guy, steak guy. What do you want to start with on this topic, Kim? Advice for our listeners. So what I liked about this article was that, so first of all, they give oodles of ideas for what wines to eat with steak. It wasn't just like steak and here are the two wines that you need to pair with. They gave like uh, 10 different (laughs) types of wine that can go with it. But I like that they touched on the fact of fat and that the cut of your steak can have an impact on how well it goes with the wine that you choose. So they did talk a bit about if you have a fattier cut, you want to go this direction. If you have a leaner cut, you want to go in this direction. They didn't talk an awful lot about cooking methods, did they? They just mentioned if if it was broiled or grilled, like the cooking method. Yeah. But they didn't go into like, if you have a pot roast, do you want to do this? Or if you have a steak on the grill or if you made stew, like that kind of thing, which adds a whole nother 
dimension and right. element to the the pairing but, but the I view think, on the fattiness i thought was yeah, really i thought take. that that was brilliant it was really smart because it does make a difference if you have filet mignon that doesn't have a lot of fattiness to it it's very tender it's very lean and the flavor is milder than if you have you know something that is more marbled and that you know you've put on the grill and it's all like all that oh i'm getting hungry again <laughs> All that yeah. fattiness has seeped into the meat. You Not want much- a milder wine with that filet because a big honking California Cabernet that's full of oak and is full of tannins is really going to overpower that poor little filet mignon. Yeah, there was more concentration on the fattiness versus toppings or sauces or, or rubs spices. Or like, yeah, that right. kind of thing. I like that they mentioned like dry aged steaks. That too. was interesting. I thought that was very interesting too. So let's start with that. The dry aged, I thought they, what do they want? They said uh, Nebbiolo mm-hmm. to pair with the dry aged steak. And I thought that was just like the perfect suggestion. I've yeah. never. But know, age, they said an aged Nebbiolo. So you're, right. you're doing like an, you're, you know, you're aging your meat and you're aging your wine. So you have these extra umami elements to both the meat and the wine that I think those are the flavor compounds that they're working to to right. play off of each other. So like a Barolo or a Barbaresco or mm-hmm. something like that. So, and you mentioned previously, you talked about Zinfandel. Did you agree they mentioned Zinfandel here uh, to pair it with grilled meat? Did yeah, you, I, I would did usually you do, although I tend to do Zin with barbecue because I feel like some Zinfandels get on that jammy and yeah, of yeah. of the flavor well, profile so something with a barbecue sauce so like i i, I tend to do zinfandel meant. with like steak tips if i've got steak tips that have like barbecue sauce on them right. so that's so that's grilled. where i would do this in that's where i was figuring they were going mm-hmm. with grilled meat was barbecue meat i also love this suggestion you mentioned filet right and i've never paired a filet with malbec and they said malbec with filet or a burger and it made sense a softer less fatty with the it's uh, Malbec is I think perfect for that for with the Malbec, fillet. You know Malbec and burgers are really good. <laughs> burgers I've had, but I've never had it with the fillet. I've, I've always never had gone that ca- you know cab traditional cab route. Yeah, but yeah, there's a, there's so many Malbecs that have like a more blueberry than a blackberry fruit, yeah. and I think that's just would be so good with especially with some of the glazes they put on fillets. I think one of the takeaways from this article is that there's so much wiggle room. There's so much that you can do. There's, it's almost like there's not a bad combination. There might be combos that are better than others, but any red wine that has some sort of tannin to it with practically any cut of beef, (laughs) you're probably going to be good. Times is not what our listeners want to hear because you want a little bit more direction, but I think that it should be a a bit of a freeing feeling in that you know you're not going to mess it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that they threw some Portuguese wine in this article as well because there are some really beautiful things out of Portugal, especially red wines that are still not really on people's radars because they are unusual. And, you know, they're from places that we don't know of and they're grape varieties that we don't know of and appellations that we've never heard of before. But when you just open the bottles and taste the wines, they taste familiar. They and they just they're really a back to that food friendly thing. They're really, really great with practically anything you want to put them with. 
like you said, they mentioned so many different styles. I, I like that they mentioned Super Tuscans because I feel Sangiovese-based Super Tuscans with an earthier topping on any type of grilled steak, mm-hmm. I, I think is a perfect Throw some pairing. mushrooms on there. You're exactly. good. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No. Sun-dried tomatoes. Now I'm hungry. Now you mm-hmm. have me hungry. And the thing that wasn't mentioned, I think I told you before, I, I like to marinate steak with port. And I think port, if you ever never tried taking a sip of port with a burger or a steak or any cut of meat like that, it really is interesting. Port and a burger with blue cheese on it. There you go. And bacon. See, <gasps> see that's why we hang out. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. And I'm not, Let's a blue, go out you know me, burgers, I'm not a daring Mike. blue cheese man, but if you give me a glass of port. <laughs> That'll be me. I've got the blue cheese yeah. on my burger. <laughs> I would splash it down with some port just to, to make you happy that I tried it. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us here every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd like any questions or comments you may have. And you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Bye, bye, bye.